I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Live Wire is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving or cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, it's Luke Burbank. This is Live Wire Radio, and we are backstage at Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon, and we have an amazing show coming up for you. We've got Ahame Filet Aluo here, also music from Lost Lander, and Kelly Williams Brown is here, author of the book Adulting. We're talking about being a grown-up on this show, Kelly, and I'm just wondering, what do you mean when you say adulting? It's not something you either are or aren't. It's something that you do, because the fact of the matter is that if you ask someone, are you a grown-up, they'll say no, even if they're a pediatric surgeon. So you wrote this book, about becoming an adult and does that suck for you because now you can never go do body shots at a kegger because you're you literally wrote the book on being an adult oh it's such a nightmare i might as well have written a book called i'm a perfect person who never makes mistakes i still haven't felt like an adult yet i don't know anyone that truly feels like an adult all right well we're gonna head out there onto that stage and learn a little bit about life starting right now from pri public radio international it's Recorded in front of a live audience at Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon, it's Livewire with musician and comic Ahame Fale Oluo, millennial advice guru Kelly Williams-Brown, music from Lostlander, and our fabulous house band. And now, the host of Livewire, Arrested Development isn't just a great show, it's his official diagnosis, Luke Burbank! Wow. Thank you so much. Welcome to Livewire, everybody. Coming to you from Revolution Hall here in Portland, Oregon. We have a, um, got a great show in store for you this hour. Our theme is the grown-ups table. Okay? <laughs> that moment that you realize that you were actually a grown-up. Or the moment when you realized you were never going to become a grown-up. <laughs> I guess I'm a grown-up. I'm 38. Uh, I have a kid. I get up to go to the bathroom 12 to 15 times <laughs> per night. Because that's pretty grown-up of me. Um, it's weird, though, because I consider myself a grown-up, but I can move into some really ungrown-up behavior with breathtaking speed. Uh, for example, last week, I was driving 
in Seattle, and I came into this intersection, and it was kind of odd. There was another street coming in at sort of a weird angle, and what I didn't realize was that there was a stoplight in this intersection, and it was red, and I didn't notice the stoplight till I was underneath it. And I looked up, and I thought, that is a stoplight, <laughs> and it's red. And I just sort of kept going. Luckily, there were no other cars trying to cross the street, so it was fine. I got to the next light, and I thought, that was kind of a dumb move, Burbank. Like, you should really be more aware. And I thought that was the end of it. And then a guy pulled up next to me, and he rolled down his window, and he sort of scolded me. He said, hey, that was a red light you drove through. Hang up your phone and look where you're going. But the thing is, I wasn't on my phone this time. And the idea that he was judging me, that he thought I had done this thing, being on my phone, when it wasn't actually the case, it like really bothered me, like probably more than it should. And then he pulled forward a couple of cars, and I realized that he was driving a Prius with like a three-dimensional metallic cat decal on the back of the Prius. And I went from being bothered to being furious. And I did what I think any thinking person would do. I changed lanes and got in behind and started following him. And, and didn't realize until it was too late that I had followed him onto something called the Highway 99 Viaduct in Seattle, which is an elevated roadway that goes for miles with no exits. And I didn't care at all. I was going to follow this guy for as long as I had to, to do whatever I was going to do, which, by the way, was not a good, coherent plan. I don't know what my thought was, like, we'll just drive till we run out of gas in a desert somewhere, and then I'll roll down the window and say, dude, I wasn't on my cell phone. That was my operating plan going forward. I want to... Uh, point out that I was not screaming at the guy. I was not tailgating him. I was not beeping. I was not doing anything really dangerous. I would just stay at a safe distance in whatever lane he went to. And if he went up a hill, I followed him. And he was in a Prius, but I was in a real car, so it was really easy for me to follow him. I was able to really stay with him. And finally, I had to stop following because I was actually out of gas. That was why I stopped. I pulled into a Chevron and let my quarry go because I didn't have any more gas. Which, by the way, a note to the kids who are listening, always have half a tank of gas. Because you never know when you might turn into an insane person and need to follow somebody onto the Alaskan Way Viaduct, into the Battery Street Tunnel, across the Aurora Bridge, and into Fremont. You might need to do that, so be prepared. So I pulled into the Chevron and... Uh, I started to, like, my heart rate went down and my adrenaline started to sort of calm down. And I started to feel really embarrassed for myself uh, and of myself. And I realized that was not a very grown-up thing to do. That was really unnecessary. And I thought, God, I wish I could, like, talk to that guy. I wish I could somehow tell him, like, my bad. That was, that was really unnecessary of me. And, and then I thought about something today. This guy is pretty smug. He drives a Prius. He's a cat enthusiast. There's like a 1,000% chance he's a public radio listener. 
Like, he's definitely listening to this right now. So I want to take this opportunity to say, Guy in the Prius, I am really sorry that I followed you for so far and so long. And that was immature of me. And it was, uh, it was not about you. It was about me. I have a lot of personal problems. But it was also a little bit about you because I was not on my phone. And I would like the record. So thank you. I just wanted to clarify that early on. All right, one of the, uh, the other kind of weird things about being a grown-up is that even when you are clearly living as an adult, you know, you got kids, maybe you own a business or something, you and your friends never feel like you're adults, right? You know what I mean? Adulthood is this weird thing that we want to try to help you, our listeners, with this week. So earlier on, we asked for your questions about adulthood, and we have a sort of expert here to help us. She is the author of the New York Times best-selling book, Adulting, How to Become a Grown-Up in 468 Easy-ish Steps. J.J. Abrams optioned the book for TV. Please welcome to Livewire, Kelly Williams-Brown. Hello, Kelly. Hello. How are you? Good. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. So you wrote this book called Adulting. True. When you were how old? 27, 28. But the important thing to say is that it's not as a 27-year-old that I had figured out these answers. It was that as a reporter, I could go find the people who had these answers. So to that end, I interviewed about 200 grown-ups about any and all aspects of adulthood, including job, family, money, all those things. And the result is... uh, is this book. Were you a pretty, like, grown-up person? Uh, It sounds like you had a job. It sounds like you knew how to call other people who were smarter than you. I mean, that's (laughs) something. That's so key to being a grown-up, is calling people who are smarter than you. Um, No, I would say anyone who had smelled the inside of my refrigerator. I mean, I felt in some ways that I had it together, but I also felt like not an adult. And then I realized, wait, no one feels like an adult. Is that what you think the, the nerve was that the book touched? Because... You sold a lot of copies. Adulting became a thing that people say. But but what do you mean when you say adulting? So my basic premise is that adult is not a noun. It's not something you either are or aren't. It's a series of actions. It's a series of steps you take every day to keep your life in order, to be decent to other people, to just sort of hold it together. And it's not that you can check off the boxes and then you're done being an adult. No, it's, it's little steps and anyone can do it. Is adultish a thing that people can be too? If adulting is a thing? Are you asking for a friend or? Yes. <laughs> friend who hosts a radio show. Yeah, I would, I would tell that friend that uh, he doesn't have to add the ish. He can oh. just be an adult. Okay. Let's go through some of these questions that uh, we had uh, submitted. Allie asks, on the weekend I like to use my time as unproductively as possible. don't we all sleep in binge watch Netflix go out drinking with friends and mostly a lot of laying sure we buried the lead here Allie is a cat um, (laughs) with a Netflix account for some reason how would you suggest I start using my weekend better what are some steps I can take toward becoming one of those people who lifestyle Instagram at like 8am on a Sunday 
Okay, so first off, anyone who is providing photographic evidence of their healthy, happy lives at 8 a.m. on a Saturday is a monster. Okay. They are... They are robots living in a human skin, trying to make us feel bad about ourselves because we don't run 10Ks and then go to a farmer's market with our farmer's market basket and take pictures of it. So don't pay attention to those people. However, there's two questions here. If you really don't want to do stuff on the weekends and you're crushing it during the week, then just own that. Like, I love to lay on a couch and watch Netflix, provided that I've gotten my stuff done. If you are really dying to do things on the weekends as opposed to just think of yourself as the kind of person who does things on the weekend, then build in those things where you can't flake out. You have to make plans to go on the hike with a friend, invite people over oh, for brunch. Oh, those can be broken. <laughs> uh, well, maybe, maybe adultish a, is a thing. From a friend. <laughs> from a but friend. But those can definitely be broken. You can break those plans. So you're saying, like, if, if you really, if Allie really wants to make her weekends more productive, by the way, is that necessarily a more adult thing to do? I feel like those people in Cocoon aren't doing shit. <laughs> and they're very adult. I mean, there's a lot of old people basically sit around. Just, Why do we decide that that's doing something there, on the weekend yeah. means you're an adult? <laughs> I mean, I really think, because I am someone who really does love a shameless sloth day, which is the kind of day where you're so lazy that not only do you not get up off the couch, you don't even leave your house to get food. Someone brings the food to you. So, To the couch. To the couch, yeah. Domino's and me, yeah. it took a while to get here, but, you yeah. know. Um, let's uh, read Jesse's question. Jesse asks, how many details should you send your boss slash coworkers when you're sick so it's not too much information but also isn't suspiciously vague? This is a big, big part of adult life is not going to work but sure. figuring out that's, yeah, that's how, a- you, how, how you tell them. Uh, what's your advice? The more details you give your boss about the play-by-play, the color, the texture on whatever is coming out of your nose, the less people will think you're telling the truth. So what you have to do as an adult is call up and say, hey, I feel terrible. I can answer emails for a couple of hours, and then I'm going to rest. And the great thing about the I feel terrible line... If you call me in six hours, it's going to sound like I'm in Cancun. (laughs) That is a construction well, project next to my house. Exactly. The, with exactly. A, that a party band going is, on at the construction site. so loud, it's hard to recover. Um, no, but I mean, that can encompass any number of things. Because adults get to have one fake sick day a year. Maybe you just feel terrible. Maybe you didn't sleep last night. Maybe your boyfriend or girlfriend dumped you. That's a reasonable thing. That is, really, you think? Because, I've, I mean, again, maybe I'm going off of this outmoded notion of adulthood, but I feel like the adult thing to do is to just go in and do a shitty job. Like people have done for years, possibly infecting everyone with a horrible, deadly illness. I mean, that's how our fathers did it and their fathers before them. I know, and I hate to break with tradition, but definitely if you're sneezing, coughing, if someone observing you for more than 45 seconds would think, I don't want to be in an elevator with them, don't go to work. All right. We have Kelly Williams Brown here, by the way. She wrote the book Adulting. We're asking her some questions. Our theme this hour is the grown up table. We want to know how to sit there and basically pass. So we're asking <laughs> these questions. This one's from listener Jillian. I'm 34. I have a great job and just got married. Stop bragging. Good for you, Jillian. Yeah. Everyone's happy we get for it. you. It's working. Oh, it gets better. <laughs> I have a good 401k, and we're thinking about having kids, but I still don't feel like enough of an adult to have them. (laughs) 
Her first question is, when will I feel like one? I would like to add the follow-up, when will I stop being insufferable? <laughs> That's more me. No, seriously. What, this actually, this actually, um, this will likely be edited out, but... Uh, <laughs> this gets to a big part of your book, which is, even when someone has all this stuff happening in their life that we think of as the markers of adulthood, they don't feel like an adult. So is that just what it now means to be an adult is a constant sense of not thinking you're an adult? Yes. I mean, it was sort of amazing to me. I would be interviewing someone who was a CEO of a company, great marriage, happy kids, multiple vacation homes, and they'd be like, well, I don't know if you really want to interview me. I'm not much of an adult. And I'd be like, wait, if not you, then who? Is no one an adult? And I think the real reason is that when we ask, am I an adult, that's not the actual question. It's, am I a perfect human being without flaws, who never feels insecure, and who doesn't make mistakes? And the answer to that is like, no, you were never going to do that. But can you wipe up your spill rather than letting it crust into like a hard orange surface on your counter? Yes, you can. That is within everyone's reach. <laughs> Kelly Williams-Brown, ladies and gentlemen, her book is Adulting. That was Kelly Williams-Brown. Her book is Adulting, and you are listening to Livewire Radio from PRI. We are the show that knows there's more to being an adult than just mortgages and estate planning and whatever. It's about knowing how to make it six days on $31 and half a bottle of Carlo Rossi. That's adulthood, my friend. We'll be right back. Hey, this podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Ergo Depot, who don't want to bum you out, but would like to let you know that extended periods of sitting can increase your chances of heart disease and diabetes, even if you go to the gym. I know, sucks, right? Kind of annoyed that they even brought it up. The good news is, though, they have a solution. In fact, they have lots of solutions. Just go to their website, ergodepot.com, and you'll find tons of sit-stand desks, stools that are meant to keep your core engaged, which means you're less likely to keel over anytime soon. Ergodepot.com, harshing your mellow since 2007. Welcome back to LiveWire from PRI. I am your host, Luke Burbank. All right, we're at a part in the show where we like to look at the newest trends in this famously trendy city of Portland, Oregon that we're in. And so we've asked our trend expert, Andrew Harris, to come out and fill us in on what is new and happening. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Luke. So I'm going to start out with the latest in everyday wear, old suit. I'm not really familiar with the old suit. No, it's just old suit. There's no the, okay? It's all about sustainability and reusability. And the notion that your dad's suit from March of 1982 still has a spring in its step. So throw it on and paint the town red and avocado. <laughs> all right, that sounds pretty cool, actually. It is! And old suit pairs really well with dented car. Dented car, is that like what it sounds like? Pretty much. 
Okay. Uh, how about some lifestyle tips? Are there any hot new neighborhoods we should know about these days? Well, it's not the neighborhood per se. It's what's under the neighborhood. That's right, you guys. I'm talking about basements. Basements? Basements! Look, the cave-dwelling Quilakpilu tribes of Papua New Guinea, they had it right. Underground dwelling is where it's at. Basements are cool in the summer, and they're cool in the winter. And best of all, they are generally below most parents' homes. So check with your parents. They just might have one. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they do have a basement. Watch out, you trailblazing trendsetter. Uh, what, what else is trending, Andrew? All right, the latest cuisine, simplicity. The hottest food technologies coming out of Asia is as simple as it gets. Tightly coiled noodles ready to eat after only five minutes in boiling water. And the best part is they come in a dizzying array of exotic flavors. Flavors like chicken, beef, shrimp, and... Oriental. <laughs> Just ask your parents to boil the water when they come down to do the laundry. Andrew? Yeah, what? Hi, Luke. Are you just living in your parents' basement eating ramen? <laughs> I don't know how that's relevant. Quick tip for you DIYers. If your parents aren't around, you look tray chic when you run a load of hot laundry and put your dad's camping mug under the running water. Pour that over a nice mound of rock-hard rum and look out, food fashionistas. Andrew, I'm, I'm really pretty worried about you. It sounds like you're not doing well. Other trends to watch out for? Driving without insurance? <laughs> not paying your taxes? And scurvy. <laughs> also, I lost a toe last week. If you happen to come across it, dibs. Okay, just email me at andrew at altavista.aol. Or just page me at 911. I'll know it's about the toe. Andrew Harris, ladies and gentlemen, not doing great. Led by Matt Sheehy and produced by Bren Kanoff of Menomina, Lost Lander will sneak into your ear holes as a quiet, nice little Northwest indie band, and then once they're inside, shock it with insanely catchy loops, hard-hitting beats, and even the odd horn section. Tonight they'll be playing tunes from their brand new record, Medallion. Please welcome Lost Lander to Livewire.
Thank you, Lost Lander, right here on Livewire Radio. Livewire is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, where artificial colors, flavors, and preservatives are as unwelcome as the top of the yogurt container in the recycling bin. <laughs> Which, frankly, we've never really understood here at Livewire because it is made out of the same stuff as the container. But anyway, more information, um, not about the lid thing, about Whole Foods. More information about Whole Foods can be found at wholefoodsmarket.com. All right, our theme this show is the grown-up table, trying to learn how to be a grown-up, and a big part of being an adult is going in for job interviews. And since they are so important, we thought we'd get one of our writers to share some advice on answering the trite questions that you might get asked during a job interview. So please welcome our writer, Alex Falcone, to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Lucas. There's a lot of advice out there on how to ace interviews, but I don't think anyone's adequately addressed my personal favorite interview question, which is, what is your greatest weakness? That is a classic. Yeah, it is. And obviously, you can't just answer it honestly. You know, like, let me show you. Pretend for a second that you're interviewing me. Ask me that question. I'll be the guy who cannot tell a lie. Uh, okay. You want me to get in character for this? Yeah, please do. 
Um, <clears throat> we got a couple of more questions for you, uh, Mr. Falcone. Uh, what would you say is your greatest weakness? Intimacy. <laughs> that got a little real, dog. Did. I just I believed your character so much. Uh, yeah. And that's not going to work for anybody, right? You can't actually say an actual weakness. You know, I can't go, go to a job interview and say, you know, I've never shown up for work on time. Yeah, no, or like, I'm so ambitious that I will just subtly undermine everybody else here to look better. I'm a horrible racist. Yeah, no. It's not. That's a big stop sign on the job interview yeah, to say yeah. that. At most places, anyway. I mean, I, I don't even understand why people really want to know your greatest weakness. Like, that's a super villain kind of question. <laughs> Uh, follow-up, do you have a girlfriend I might kidnap? Yeah, which, just asking for a friend, which you are more afraid of, like a pit of snakes or like a pool full of sharks? It sounds villainous. It is a little. Um, if they're stroking a cat when you walk into the interview, yeah. turn tail. Uh, okay, so then uh, how do people tend to handle this kind of impossible question? So you may have heard these before. There's two main schools of thought on this question. You've probably heard at least one of them before. Yeah, that's the... Saying it's a weakness, but really you're kind of humble bragging a strength. Right, right. I'm a workaholic. Right. Sometimes I just find at the end of the day that I care too much. Yeah, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so handsome people are intimidated by me. I actually do get that one. That is a real I believe it. I believe thing it. that happens to me. And the thing about that is you're dodging the question, and you might actually secretly be saying something that's worse. Like, I'm, an, I'm a workaholic sounds a lot like I have work-life balance issues. That's kind of a scary answer, so probably shouldn't do that. Well, then, uh, what do the experts recommend for this? The other school of thought on it is that you say something that's a real weakness but doesn't matter at all for the job, right? Like, my desk is messy. Or, uh, I can't name all the Supreme Court justices. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And if you answer like that... One of them's named Ruth. I know that. And she was pretty drunk at the State of the Union. <laughs> so I've heard. I don't know if I can use that in an interview, but that's a factoid. Yeah, just toss out facts. I, the <laughs> thing is, if you answer like that, if you say a, like a really petty weakness, your real greatest weakness is cowardice. Actually, you know, man up, answer the question. Right, okay. Uh, that makes it seem like this is then an impossible question, basically. It is. That's what's so zen about it. There's no good answer. You're going to lose either way. Just pick which way to lose. Well, what, <laughs> what do you suggest? So I think, truthfully, I had to think about this for a while, and I think the best bet is to actually say something that is a major weakness, and then you describe how you've overcome that weakness, and that's actually made you stronger. Like, you know how Daredevil was blind, and so he developed all these superpowers to hide the fact that he looks like Ben Affleck. That's what he was doing. Yeah. Uh, well, can you give me an example of a actually good answer? Yeah. To this? So this is this is for me uh, is true that I'm I'm really not great at receiving criticism. I you know I have, I'm pretty thin skinned, and so uh, I've asked my wife to help me out with this, and so she just insults me every time <laughs> I see her, and uh, like this shirt apparently doesn't fit great, so um. I'm just now it just rolls off my back. Yeah. I'm going to let the radio audience know she does sort of have a point. <laughs> I've been sucking in this whole time, <laughs> you know, saving uh, the buttons. I got, I got seven sets of Spanx on right now. I don't feel bad, Falco. You kidding me? I haven't taken a real breath since 1987. Uh, this soul-crushing system you seem to have with your lady friend. Uh, yeah. I guess it solves a problem, but it seems a little kind of <laughs> sad. Yeah, it is, it's, uh, it's anticlimactic because my secret actual weakness is that I write unsatisfying endings to radio segments. Oh. <laughs> and intimacy, that too. That is, 
surprising that we hired you, but I do yeah. actually feel weirdly close to you now of yeah. over the body image stuff. That's so the Spanx. One out of two. Alex Falcone, <laughs> everybody. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lucas. You're listening to Live Wire Radio musician, writer, and comic Ahame Filet Aluo made a huge splash in Seattle when he debuted his amazing stand-up big band autobiography called Now I'm Fine, which received rapturous reviews, including one from Macklemore, who took a break from popping tags at the thrift store <laughs> long enough to call Now I'm Fine his favorite performance of 2014. Ahame Filet also claims to have once stolen ham from actor Tom Skerritt which we will get to the bottom of later. Don't you worry. First, though, here with a tale of burgeoning adulthood, please welcome Ahame Filet Oluo to Livewire. So I went to Norway uh, two summers ago, and honestly, it really is an incredibly wonderful place. But I, I would never have gone there on my own, but it was my, my partner Lindy's uh, family reunion uh, in the mountains in Norway at a place called Nitun Heifustur. Now, I'm a musician by profession, uh, and I always bring my trumpet when I travel. Uh, so one night during the reunion, Lindy's cousin uh, Ida came to me and said, uh, Lindy says you play the trumpet. We must have some jam. We must jam. Uh, so we gathered up all the cousins, you know, uh, Carl Martin, Bjorn Ivar, Jens Otar, all of them. Uh, and we had some jam. We jammed all night. Uh, and Ida just was blown away. Like, she was blown away. She lost her mind when I started playing. Because in Norway, they don't have um, self-expression. So it was, uh, <laughs> it was, really, it was really surprising. Uh, so, so when, when we got back to, to also, she told me that she had made some phone calls uh, and she had arranged for me to sit in with one of the most popular bands in Oslo. And I was excited, not only because I just, you know, I love playing music, but uh, this was actually the day before my birthday. Uh, that night at midnight, I was going to turn 30 years old uh, and it seemed like a, a great way to celebrate. So I showed up at the club and, and, and having no prior knowledge of this band or their music, uh, I showed up, and there was just a line around the block. Uh, it, was, it was packed in there. And I was greeted by one of the band members who walked me in, and he uh, was wearing a hat shaped like a bowl of bananas, which was literally the most subversive thing that I saw in Norway. Uh, and I don't remember his name, so let's just call him Flerg. And, uh, <laughs> and Flerg like, walked me into the club. He told me where I was going to stand. And then, as if it were just a normal thing to say, he said... It's good thing you show up, because our trumpet player died last night. <laughs> and after composing myself for a moment, I said, as sincerely as I could, I'm so sorry for your loss. And he literally said back to me, it's okay, he was not very good. <laughs> I came to discover that no one in the band was very good. Uh, to give you an idea, do you guys remember the 90s, how we had like this swing revival, like there's a movie Swingers, uh, they're just getting that there. So this was like a 20-person, like 90s swing revival, revival orchestra. I like to think of them as very big, legitimately bad voodoo daddy. So uh, as we began the first song, I noticed that there was a space in the sheet music for an improvised trumpet solo. And uh, this was my chance 
to show like how we do it in America, you know, <laughs> like the birthplace of this music that they were so poorly imitating. And, uh, <laughs> and the time came and I just like ripped into a solo and the crowd went crazy, you know, self-expression. They're screaming, fist bumping, and, uh, and the band was not so enthusiastic. They glared back at me with this stern dissatisfaction. Uh, and then for the rest of the night, they just skipped every trumpet solo. Uh, during the set break, I had a beer with a trombone player. Let's call him Fleur 2. And, uh, and he had told me that the trumpet player who had died was his best friend. That the trumpet player had introduced him to his now wife. That this morning, shortly after hearing the news, he looked at his four-year-old son and thought about all that that man had given him. That if it weren't for that trumpet player, his son wouldn't exist. And he told me that more than anything, the trumpet player loved this band and he would have wanted the show to continue. And he, he told me that he truly believed that I had been sent from God to help the show go on. Now, this trombone player sentiment was held by about half of the band. And the other half was pissed <laughs> that I would have the balls to walk in there and not only try to replace their friend, but upstage him. So... Earlier, when Flerg 1 had told me about the death of their trumpet player, uh, the matter-of-fact way that he had said it left me with the impression that this whole thing wasn't a big deal. Maybe the trumpet player hadn't been in the band that long. Maybe they didn't like him. Maybe he had been suffering from a long illness and this news was expected. Uh, but in reality, uh, it, it wasn't that Flerg was uncaring. Uh, he was just Norwegian, and Norwegians hide their pain. Like, my partner does that. My mother-in-law does that. Uh, in reality, I learned that the dead trumpet player was 46 years old, had no major prior health problems. He had just had a sudden heart attack in the middle of the night and died. He had been in the band for 16 years. He was everyone's best friend, and I had showed up from 5,000 miles away, unannounced, to replace him. Uh, this wasn't the birthday party I was expecting. Uh, in fact, when I mentioned to, to Flerk 2 uh, that it was my birthday and I was turning 30, uh, he said, I'm sorry, man, but nobody gives about your birthday. Uh, <laughs> but he told me that after the show, they were having a little impromptu memorial service in the green room, and it would mean a lot to him if I would go. So what do you say? You say, yes, of, co of course. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but everyone in Norway speaks English. Like, everyone in the story was speaking English to me, and I don't know why I assumed that when I got in that green room with that group of Norwegians mourning their dead friend who was also Norwegian, I don't know why I assumed that they would be speaking English. <laughs> but once, once they started, I'm like, oh, I don't understand anything they were saying. And it just seemed weird to be like, hey, you guys, English, please. Come on. Uh, so... Now I'm in the room, and everyone's passing around a bottle of whiskey, and I'm turning 30 in a matter of seconds. I'm surrounded by strangers, half of whom hate me, half of whom feel like I've been sent down from this divine being, uh, and they're all mourning in a language I don't understand, and I'm filling in for a dead man at his own memorial. In that moment, there was something symbolic about turning 30 right then, and realizing that it wasn't about me right there. Sometimes you just have to be what people need, even if they need to hate you. And you can say that that's not fair, but what's really not fair is that later that night, when I uncomfortably slinked out of the building 
and started walking back to the hotel, all of my friends and family were still alive. And so was I. Because there's going to come a day when some trumpet player will show up to a club and a dear friend of mine is going to say to him, it's a good thing you show up because our trumpet player died last night. Ahame Falealuo. Thanks Thank for coming on Livewire. Livewire is brought to you in part by New Belgium Brewing, this week featuring Portage Porter, a warm, toasty porter with chocolate aromas and a deep brown hue that tells the world, yes, I can handle a dark beer because I am a person of substance. <laughs> and yes, that is also hot wing sauce on my face because I contain multitudes. More information at newbelgium.com. You are listening to Livewire Radio, coming to you from our new home at Revolution Hall in Portland. This building, I got to tell you guys, it's, it's been through a huge renovation. It just went on because it used to be Washington High School some decades ago, and it's looking very nice, very spiffy, but it has evidently undergone apparently a lot of different incarnations this building has in its 110 years. Uh, so here now is uh, Sean McGrath and Andrew Harris with... Tales of the Revolution. Thanks, Luke. Well, as you just said, Revolution Hall has been many things over the years, but for our first look back into its hallowed history, we decided to go all the way to 1915, when everything here was the setting for bare-knuckle boxing matches. Whoopsh, whoopsh. Ow, that's my nose. Whoopsh, uh, whoopsh, Andrew, uh, Andrew. Uh, what are you doing? Well, Andrew will be providing audio background throughout the story, adding historical flavor to my retelling. Top to the chalk, boys, right there. There you are. I got a shilling on the ginger chap, I do. Uh, uh, time out. Why is he cockney? This has always been Portland. Oh, knees up, knees up, bang it ash. That's mustard, eh? It was a different time back then, Luke. A different world, you might say. Now, please, Luke, be quiet. Freshen your drink, governor. A century ago, these very walls ricocheted with the noises of shirtless men pummeling one another. Ouch, my nose. Good thing I'm not wearing a shirt. I'm going to punch you back. Grunting and rutting as copper coins clanged on the floor. Cling, cling, cling. That's my coin. I like money. The fighting would start at dusk every night and for one pound twenty. You would be granted admission to a bevy of man-on-man. The main event tonight, gorgeous Gary versus Slippery Neil. And sometimes man-on-animal fisticuffs. Uh, did you just say animal? Well, sure. I mean, who here hasn't heard of kangaroo boxing from the golden era of pugilism? I'm a kangaroo, and I'm going to punch your faces, yeah. Is that, is that what a kangaroo sounds like to you, Andrew? Luke, do you want to tell the story? No, I do not at all, actually. Okay, good. However, due to high Australian import tariffs, kangaroos weren't used in Portland, no. Instead, any night of the week, one might see a bout between a man and a Pacific giant salamander. Well, I'm a salamander. Kissy chipacone. Man versus the Colombian white-tailed deer. Row! No. Nope. <laughs> Terrible. That's Row! factual. That, that's scientific. 
or around the summer solstice, man versus the Klamath suckerfish. I'm, I'm trying to envision how the, the boxing match would go with a fish. Did they have little, like, uh, boxing gloves for no, their flippers? No, it was bare knuckle, okay? I said that very early on. Bare knuckle boxing matches. I'm Please sorry. pay attention. My bad. As the evening wore on and men's bloodlust was sated, bowls of Hungarian mushroom soup were sold by vendors. Hi, you got mushroom soup here for That is the worst Hungarian accent a, I have ever heard in my two life. Two shakes of a lamb's tail. Did somebody steal the, your lucky charms? And as the bodies were dragged off and the floors were mopped, mop, mop, slappy mop, mop, moppy mop. You don't just say mop, the name of the thing if mop. you're doing an impression of it. They did back then, Luke. They did back then. The crowd would be entertained by hysterical vaudevillian comedy. Hey, mister, how many razzles does it take to get to the moon? I don't know, lady. Why don't you try a brassiere? Oh, Sean? Hey, Sean? Yeah? Did you actually do any of the research that we asked you to do about Revolution Hall? Um, because, for instance, I just said it was a high school before this. You know what, Luke? Just open up and gobble up the lies fed to you by your flimsy public education. But if you really want to get to the true America, the Howard Zinn America, you have to pour through the archives. Really get your nails dirty. Aye, these be filthy nails. So there were pirates here, too, at some point? Tune in next, Livewire, when Andrew and I take you back to the year 1948. When this very theater was the flop house for famous Chicago gangster Pretty Vincenzo D'Abruzzo. You looking at me? You looking at me? Am I funny to you? I'll say hello to my little friend. <laughs> why, why is even that guy Cockney? He's like a Cockney Robert De Niro. Tales of the Revolution! Awesome. Thank you. Uh... Sean McGrath and uh, Andrew Harris, ladies and gentlemen. All right, folks. One more time. A warm live wire welcome for Lost Lander. Oh, 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 oh. 
Could ever put a stop to this I see trouble Every time I look for you Maybe that's a lie And I Suppose I'm the cry Inside With luck I will hide Myself away In you Oh, 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 oh Don't you think You've seen enough Lost Lander, here on Live Wire Radio. One hell of an hour, Jason Rouse. It was a big hour. It was a big hour. It was a lot of hour that yeah. we just had learning yeah. about the grown-up table. Did yeah. you, um, do you have any insights? Did you learn anything? Yeah, well, Kelly Williams-Brown really, um, she really... It really spoke to me, and I got to tell you, I, the lady who uh, the lady, wrote know, about adulting, adulting, and I really, I just would like to say more, but I just, I feel really terrible, and uh, it's a woman thing, and I think I learned from her that it's okay for me to take a day for myself, and I'm going to take that day now, and I think I'm going to go in the back and I'm going to lay down. I may answer a couple emails, but no more than that, and I won't beat myself up about it, nor the Pop-Tarts that I ate for dinner tonight, because you know what? Adults make decisions. That's right, Jason. You put that slanket on, and you have a heck of a night, okay? Fits like a glove, Luke. I, um, I learned that this radio show is a great way for me to apologize to people who I've done bad things to. So look for that in the coming season. Thank you, everyone, for coming out. Have a great night. We will see you next week. Our thanks to our guests, Kelly Williams-Brown, Lost Lander, and 
Maple Aluo. This show is made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, and Ergo Depot. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Courtney Hameister is head writer and producer. Jim Brunberg is producer and member of our house band, along with Jonathan Newsom and Dave Jorgensen. Jason Rouse is associate producer and part of our writing team, along with Alex Falcone and Sean McGrath. Graham Nystrom is our technical director. House sound by D. Neil Blake and lights by Jillian Tablet. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, Meyer Memorial Trust, the Oregon Arts Commission, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, the Maybell Clark McDonald Fund, the Oregon Community Foundation, Work for Art, the Multnomah County Cultural Coalition, and listeners like you fine people. For more information about the show or becoming a member of Livewire, visit livewireradio.org. You can download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and find us on Twitter and Facebook at Livewire Radio. I'm Luke Burbank, and we'll see you next week. PRI, Public Radio International. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.